Is the world on fire? Hi, everyone. Welcome to Is the World on Fire, a podcast created by students and alumni at the Kroc School of Peace Studies at the University of San Diego. I'm your host, Taya Clement, and I'm very excited today because we have a special guest host with us here, Tamara Sharifov. Yes, hi. Hi, Tamara. Thank you for being here and for just bringing your wisdom to this space with us. Tamara is a friend and peer of mine who I have come to know here at the Croc School. But on a more deep scale, she is an incredible humanitarian, social worker, friend, caregiver, nurturer, badass, I'd like to say, who has holds a uh, license in clinical social work. And she currently has her own practice. Yeah, a private practice private in practice mental health. In mental health, mm-hmm. yeah. Is pursuing her studies right now full time, getting her master's in science in conflict resolution, conflict management resolution. And she has experience in clinical training focused on the impacts of post-traumatic stress disorder, complex trauma, suicidality, and international armed conflict. All of these very big topics. I think that segues really nicely to what this podcast episode is going to be on, which is on the tenets practice of Buddhism um, and how it pertains to the act of peace building. Would you care to just introduce, you know, what we're going to be talking about today and, and who you've brought into the studio with us? Yes, absolutely, Taya. Thank you for that introduction. And I want to say it's an honor to be here with you as a dear friend of mine, uh, a colleague uh, this time together that we've been studying and learning and having an opportunity to bring someone very special in my world here to this podcast. And that is uh, Rinpoche. That is the name of an enlightened being, somebody who is now very close in my life, my Buddhist teacher, and helps me to continue to walk uh, what we would call the Dharma path or the path of the Buddhist teachings while I continue on my path working within the field of both psychology, mental health, um, social work, humanitarianism, and then bringing in, you know, the international system and conflict resolution and working and understanding global governance and being able to stay really grounded and centered in my, as he would say, relationship uh, between me and me, which we'll be talking about later. So today's definitely going to be a different conversation than I think have happened here on this podcast. And yet I think so important because many of the people who come here, you know, it's and, and us too, it's a conversation of the external. How am I relating with the external? What am I doing with the external to create change, to assist in being a change maker in the context of the world that feels like it's on fire? But simultaneously, there isn't much discussion unless there's a lot of self-focus on it or you just have the exposure to it for whatever reason on the relationship with the self and how to work with your own mind and your own psychology within your values while you're doing this work. Because at the end of the day, the reality is, is we are looking through uh, everything that we do through our own lens. And if we lose sight of that, then we are vulnerable to burning out or doing more harm or having difficulty in understanding why we continue to do what we're doing when we're faced with such high levels of suffering in our work and in our path when we do this work. I love that your practice in studies of psychology and psychotherapy is seemingly like really coming 
up against the work that some of us do in the international space, in this humanitarian space, and how critical they actually like talk to one another, these two kind of parts of you and, and parts of your, your practice and your work. We won't spend too much time talking before really just digging into the, the conversation between you and your Buddhist teacher, but do you mind just telling the audience a little bit about how you came to meet him or what, what his teaching has meant to you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I met Rinpoche about a year ago. And at the time, um, I had already studied or been really embedded in Tibetan Buddhism for about 10 to uh, 15 years. But studying within a different lineage, which really understands coming to enlightenment from the space of scholarly study of the Buddhist teachings. And when I met Rinpoche, I was at a very pivotal time in my life, and I believe that it was a, a karmic seed that had ripened, and I walked into his tradition, a different tradition within Tibetan Buddhism, which understands a different way of practicing uh, through the tantric tradition. Coming into it was interesting and new and different, and now a year later, as I've noticed these very beautiful, subtle changes uh, within my mind, understanding that him coming into my life when he did was at such a powerful, powerful time and has been pivotal to bringing me to continue to be able to do my work here. And I don't think I would have been ready for the teachings he had to offer me any time before that. It was very karmic, very beautiful. Lama Lanang Rinpoche, he's a spiritual teacher of the Nyingma, Longchen, Ningting order in Tibetan Buddhism, who has studied with many masters from different lineages. Lama Langnang was born, raised, and educated in Northeast Tibet and was identified as a Rinpoche at an early young age and brought to study at a monastery high in the Himalayan mountains thereafter. In Tibetan Buddhism and in the Tibetan language, the term of Rinpoche is one of the highest honors. Its direct translation means the precious one, a reference to a person such as a gem or a jewel. It is used as a term of respect when addressing someone who has been identified as a reincarnate of a high master within Tibetan Buddhism, which Lama Langnang Rinpoche was recognized as in his early youth and why he was brought to the monastery for his destiny in this current life and reincarnation. Rinpoche is here with us now because he was able to leave Tibet at a time when Tibet was going through immense turmoil. So we are deeply blessed to have him here with us. Rinpoche, as much as I do not indulge in the suffering you've endured to then sit with me here today, my heart is always filled with immense gratitude of your move to San Diego and of now becoming my teacher, my master, my Rinpoche, and guide through my deep practice in Tibetan Buddhism, this life, and my current precious human rebirth. I will refer to Rinpoche today as Rinpoche as it is the title in which he deserves. Rinpoche, I'm very grateful to have you here today with us. Thank you. Rinpoche, I'm wondering, before we get into our conversation, it is customary in Tibetan Buddhism and Buddhism to set the right intention for any practice or anything that we're doing in this life as a way to benefit all human beings. I'm wondering if you can start us with a mantra, a prayer. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you, Rinpoche. So Rinpoche, to get us started, before I move into speaking about Buddhism, Buddhism's understanding of what peace in the world means, we're at a time where the world, many people could say, is in disarray. So I'm curious, I'm going to ask you a question. As someone who practices and teaches from the Buddhist tradition, what comes to mind when you hear the phrase, the world is on fire? First thing, you have to be calm. And secondly, you can connect to do with the Buddha Dharma Sangha and uh, send the prayers and send good thoughts and also do some mantras. Because what we think about, that's our meditation. What we say, all prayers, that's as, uh, anything comes from your speech is prayer. What you do, that make a benefit. That's why. And you don't want to lose yourself. You have to be, want to be positive thing happen, then you have to be positive. When I hear the way that you answered this question, immediately mm-hmm. what you came back to is an individual's relationship with themselves yes. and how they're navigating themselves within the context of the world. Can you expand more on this? There have been many statements, and we'll speak further in a moment, that you've said with the simplicity of what it means to work with the own mind. And one in particular can even be, you've mentioned that the mind is your altar and the path is in your mind. Can Uh you expand more on this? Uh, Yes, uh, definitely. Everything is uh, up to you. You see something negativity, then you're upset or you're mad or you're not happy, then actually you are doing the contribute to the negativity. It's very important to come and creating the positive energy. And that's why you don't want to lose yourself. And what you do, what you think, that's make a difference. So what's going on in the world? And then you, plus what you think, that make a difference. So that's why it's very important to send in the prayers and positive motivation. So and love. And love. Yeah. You know, many people ask, what is love? Right. There's so many definitions out there. But when you say to uh-huh. give love, uh-huh. what do you mean in your definition of that understanding in the context of the world? We have ideas about love in America or in the Western world. Uh, it's called conditional love. It's a something you love somebody, but what I can get back. It's not like a, that kind of love, unconditionally, even though somebody is evil or you don't like it, but you have to love that person and send and the prayers to their heart. So what I'm hearing in what you just said, the mm. idea that even if your mind conceptualizes someone as an enemy, you see someone doing horrific acts, things you don't agree with, as we many of us see in the world, and our mind will generate so many judgments, and that's not in line with my values, uh, or I don't want to act that way, or I want to Uh, give justice to those people, there's an element that you're saying it's so important to be present to the way in which you're relating to your enemy or your quote-unquote generated enemy in your mind. That's what I'm understanding and what you're saying. Yeah, what I'm saying is is there's a fire. If you put a gasoline, what gonna happen? Burning more and fires destroy more. Mm Mm-hmm. So you see there's something negativity going in. You upset and you say something negativity or do negativity things. Actually, you contribute that negativity. So if something negativity you see, you have to follow your heart. 
just so really you don't want to lose yourself. If you want positive, then you have to create the positive in your heart, in your speech, in your actions. Yes, your heart, your speech, and your mind. And mm -hmm. it's interesting with the name of this podcast being around the world being on fire. And what I heard you saying is that when there is a fire, the gasoline is when you lose connection with yourself. Mm -hmm. and your center, and then the negativity comes into being thrusted at the quote-unquote negativity in which mm -hmm. you're trying to work with in this world, especially as peace builders. Yeah, and what I'm saying is uh, there's so many things going on in the world, but a news media they showing that negativities, mm. like uh, something murder happens, and uh, then people think that's happening every day, but it's not. So, but there's so many wonderful things happening in this country, in this world, but uh, the news media don't show that. So what I'm saying is, of course, there's a lot of negativity going on, but there's good things going on too. So the good, the bad, is in the also, we always like a judge, but we don't know the truth, what's really going on there. Because we think, is, oh, these politicians are bad, this good, but... You don't know their motives and their in mind. Only you know yourself. You don't want to lose yourself. And actually, you want to, want to have a peace. Then you have to talk about peace, work in peace. You have to look yourself. Are you have a peace? If you're not a peace, then how are you going to work with the peace? So that's why it's very important to start with the within in yourself uh, with the peace. Even though some things they're going in, of course there's negative things going on because the news media television showing that all the time. So but then only you can send the prayers and uh, just uh, kinda don't want to lose. You want to do something, you can do it, say it, but your upset is not good. If you want to do something, if you feel compelled to do something, of mm -hmm. course, engage in the action. Mm -hmm. But it's the idea, what I'm hearing is the misconception of the role that anger plays in that and how you're working with yourself and working with your own potential, what in Buddhism, my understanding would be called the destructive emotions, the afflictive emotions. And one of the worst ones is being anger. Mm -hmm. Yes, and definitely anger destroys yourself not destroy your enemy or destroy that bad person or uh, politician or so, so and so forth, you know? Anger only destroys your health. Anger destroys your mind. Anger carries negative energy with you and yourself, and that's not good for yourself, your partner, your family. And uh, actually, when the angry person means actually also you carry also negativity into energy world. You know, Rinpoche, when I met you, I had met you after I had spent many years already studying Buddhism. And what I found so particularly amazing about the way in which you teach is how you've simplified and you simplify the definitions of the Buddhist teachings in your teachings to others. And one of mm -hmm. the ones, one of the statements that stood out to me particularly is the idea that this journey and this life is a journey between you and you. And 
through the journey of either peace building, conflict resolution, activism, psychology, social work, nursing, somebody in a helping field, there can be a vulnerability when approaching the work of having the attitude that it's me against the world. Again, very simply to the statement that it's a journey between you and you, you and your own mind. Can you expand on that statement right there? Yes, uh, between you and you. First, uh, it's very important to have clear vision and confidence within your heart. And secondly, what you want in yourself and the world. And then you can create that. And you want peace? Be peaceful. You want to be happy? Be happy. Especially in America, is how we're lucky. And we have all this abundance and choice and freedom. So, and uh, sometimes some American person complains. I said to them, go to Africa, maybe India, just spend a few months there. Then you see your problem is, uh, you know, in to compare them, you know. It's really important to not lose yourself because you're the one with the, your future. You want to save, you can save yourself. I know we're moving into the concept of spirituality and religion, but this is very important here in the distinction of the way that a Buddhist understands the relationship with the world is it's a relationship with you and your own mind. And that's what you're constantly working with up until your last day and how important that is when you're working within the context of having exposure constantly to the injustices of the world, to the conflict, to the violence, to the suffering. And that that is the most important component within Buddhism. And then, of course, it expands out of there. And that was the premise of the Buddhist teachings within the Four Noble Truths right at the onset. Uh, yes. In a Buddhist, we everything and the karma and everything connected. The whole world, this green planet and the, and the galaxy world or another realms, beings in the six realms is we are one family. Karmically connected clockwise, counterclockwise. So that's why it's very important to know. But also, we have to think about there's more than 7 billion people in this world. We are one person. So, and you want peace, then you have to start with the peace. So then also you carry in your culture or what you study or what you're learning. Also, you have to use that to benefit others because all the suffering comes from the selfishness and self-centeredness. This makes me think about how many times we've heard the Dalai Lama mm -hmm. say simply, my religion is peace. And it's that simple. And yet, of course, there's so much complexity given what you spoke about right now and how to approach peace in a world. I have a question for you. How are you working to stroke out and put out the various quote-unquote fires or in maybe a Buddhist terminology, the suffering of the world that you're seeing? There's so many things going on. But when you try to work in for the peace or try to do some positive things, not so easy. Always there's so much challenges, so many things comes up. But when you are sometimes like a life, it's like a boxing, you see. <laughs> you are somebody's punching your face, but you back up, you lose it. If you go forward, man, you have a chance to win. So what I'm saying is sometimes not easy to be Try to work in a peace. 
you have to really need the focused and then slowly, gradually, none of it is. Uh, many people come to me. Sometimes some people come, I don't know him or her because I'm not a good person, memorize people. <laughs> Say, oh, thank you. So, so, so and so, and I was coming to your talk and since that was changing my life. I was, oh, okay, <laughs> because I don't remember. So, it's sometimes it's like that, but it doesn't matter, you know. You just do your best, then maybe, you know, slowly, gradually, you will benefit others. I'm curious, how do you start your day each day knowing the slow-moving nature of transforming the mind and transforming behavior, resulting in a slow-moving train of social change and peace? What does your day look like within that context? Uh, my day is just so always same. When I'm traveling, of course, there's different time zone, different. I always kind of get up around five to seven, between like there. And uh, to me is uh, when you wake up, you open your eyes. That moment is begin to is a practice. So when you eating is a practice. When you talking to somebody is practice. And uh, you're walking, everything is a practice. So it's about the, what I want to say is very important to create in the right motivation to yourself. Like I say, I'm so glad to be wake up and I'm so happy to be who I am. It's very important to accept yourself. Then also, you can, you know, your job or your study or whenever you can send a very good motivation, like, I'm so happy to go to work. I'm so happy to go to study. So happy to have this job. So it's very important to create in this kind of energy. And uh, then you work, and that benefits yourself. That's your income also. You're happy. You're happily enjoying the, your work. That benefits your boss or company and uh, also there's clockwise and counterclockwise than the boss in this world. So it's very important to not kid. And sometimes some people say, oh, I have to work. I'm not happy. I have to see my boss. I'm not happy. You see, that's you put that in your mind. That's why so much stress in we have. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to enjoy and who you are, enjoying what you have. It's all about your mind. You see, the success is not the money or power or these things. You look, and the richest man, man in the world, watch, he's relaxing. No, he's buying more companies and more worries, you see. And that's not really success. You see, looks like he have a lot of money and big company, but Actually, store his hungry. He wants more. But when you really have peace in your home, happiness in your heart, you are a successful person. Doesn't matter what kind of car you drive in, what kind of house you live in. The matter is when you have happiness and peace, you are right. So, but what you ask me about me, I'm just uh, no. My body is like okay, we have go. My mind is a driver, so so that's why I just always have used my awareness and uh, connect with the Buddha Dharma. 
So then people come to my live or my talks, then I do my best, but I never forced into anybody Buddhist. I'd love all the religions in the world. And also in the Buddha's teachings is not up to me or Buddha. It's up to individually a person who wants to follow or not, and up to them. So if somebody wants to follow, then I would definitely do my best to guide them. But at the same time, I just always have a lot of friends. So <laughs> <laughs> I hear in what you just said, the level of intentionality mm-hmm. in the choices you're making every day mm-hmm. out of the mindset of the, the Dharma and also the benefit of sentient beings and being very clear on that. There's so much clarity in why you're doing what you're doing and how you're choosing to observe your own mind and observe life around you. And it's starting from the moment that you open your eyes. It's that level of clarity. And I think about other people maybe who aren't religious or spiritual or uh, aren't Buddhist, right? It's the question of the value. What's the value? And being very clear and intentional in that every day and moving through that and staying centered. And that's what you do with the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha at the forefront of your mind. I do my best. (laughs) (laughs) With your karma, with your humanness always showing up. As I'm listening to you speak, I think it's important for us to bring light to where it is that you come from Mm -hmm. and who is it that this person has developed from, right? You come Mm -hmm. from Tibet. On the one hand, it is an incredibly spiritual place in the Himalayas. The Tibetan people are some of the most peaceful people in the world. And yet, if you know anything about it, it's also very political. Can you tell us what you would like us to know about Tibet, the Tibetan people? Mm-hmm. And we'll just start there. Tibetan people live in the Himalayas, and there be nomadics and farmers. The people are very simple and uh, living in the mountains. Uh, yeah, so I hear you speak about the Tibetan people as being so peaceful, just simple, nomadic individuals living high, high, high in the Himalayas, in the land of snow, one of the highest regions in the world. And yet we also know that much of the Tibetan community is in exile in Dharamsala in India now for safety purposes or in Nepal or all over the world. Uh, yeah, right now many Tibetans in India and also Nepal in America, Europe, Australia, in in all over the world. But I think it's a one way is bad thing happens in Tibet, but a good thing happens in the kind of world because uh, it's all in the Dalai Lama and the Tibetan, the great uh, masters and to reach the world. And now uh, Tibetan uh, culture, the kind of most uh, people of the world knows who are there. <laughs> So Rinpoche, I want to follow up on this idea of leadership. Can you talk about what the idea of leadership means within Tibetan Buddhism, within the Buddha Dharma, if that is a concept uh, and the idea of mentorship? In uh, Buddha's teachings, is uh, it's really the real as uh, a leader ourselves. It's like uh, you see, boss yourself, serving yourself. And you, uh, as a good Buddhist, that means you are the servant of the world to benefit for own parents and human beings. Really, in today's world, I see Dalai Lama is a real leader because he talks. 
He's a political Tibetan leader and a religious leader in Tibet, but he wins Nobel Peace Prize, many, many, many prize, peace prize in the world. And also what he's talk about peace and justice. And uh, he lived with that and not just something. So we really need that kind of leaders we can follow. But the today's world is we don't have leaders and just only, uh, you know, political figures and uh, everything's about money and the power. So it's a really need. We need the leaders. They need the focus of the humanity, health, education, and also turns are connected with the world to communicate with the head of the peace. That's kind of leaders. Leaders, we need the example for the young generations. And and again, I heard the concept come back to we need leaders that are not in just a relationship between them and the world. It's a leader that's in relationship between them and themselves. Yeah, definitely, because in today's world, only we have directors. We don't have leaders. That's the problem. So the directors are also working for biggest companies and corporators. So uh, you see uh, in that the, there's a corruption. I think one of the most powerful things that you just said is the idea that in our world today, we only have directors, we don't have real leaders. And that's a very powerful statement. And it's looking at that there needs to be a very big shift back to the idea of morale, integrity, and values and leadership and what that really looks like. And we've lost that substantially. I have one last question for you. Is there anything simple for somebody who does not know anything about Buddhism or Buddhist understanding, Tibetan Buddhist understanding about peace that you haven't said already or something you want to repeat that's so important that people don't know? Is there anything new? I will say it's very important to not judging others not too much and working with ourselves to be a good person to yourself and good to your family, good to your community, good to your country. And that's the way start. Doesn't matter which religion you follow, doesn't matter color of skin or language you speak. It's uh, we all need this peace, we all need this love. And uh, therefore, it's very important to respect each other and uh, be simple and be happy. Thank you. Thank you, Rinpoche. Thank you. Before we go, I'm back here sitting with Tamara, and I wanted to reflect briefly on some of the thoughts that came up for me and those those tendrils of, of wisdom that I'm trying to internalize. The first is really this notion of being in harmony and at peace with oneself in the work that you do, in the way that you live every single day, and how it clashes with this notion of social justice driven by anger, by the unwillingness to let things persist in injustice and imbalance and inequality. I think in the Western context, it's so easy to get caught up in the narratives of you know fighting back finishing off the opposition, ending something that's unjust. And while anger is very motivating, I also know that it can lead to burnout, like 
you guys discussed. And I've also noticed how when I'm motivated purely by anger, I lose this capacity to hold someone else's humanity in my heart or or close to mine. I lose this ability to see them as capable of being loving agents, of, of being change makers. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you're talking about a very complicated interplay, two truths that feel seemingly unable to exist at the same time. How can I both have this space of clarity and the space of uh, peace or really being able to understand the path within my own mind while seeing this level of injustice, right? Seeing this level of pain being inflicted on one party to another, right? Which is happening and simultaneously our own judgment of it is happening, right? So those two things are existing at the same time. And so anger we know is a very motivating emotion, And many times anger can be a secondary emotion to the level of hopelessness, um, hurt, sadness uh, Mm. that are natural human emotions experienced uh, when we are seeing such things and maybe feeling helpless when we're seeing such things. So nothing in what he has said or what the Buddha says is do not approach that and do not make change and do not work with that. It's the question of what is the intention behind how you're doing it? in every choice point that you're making in the process and what are the values behind that versus my end goal is to just squash this and simultaneously hate you on the back end. Because Mm. from a Buddhist perspective is that then you are only harming yourself in that process, right? So it's really the question of in your own, uh, if we want to take it from the Buddhist perspective, what type of suffering do you want in the process? Do you want the suffering of being angry while doing it? Or do you want the suffering of being uh, feeling everything that's coming up and still maintaining some sort of value, knowing you're doing it for a destiny, a purpose, and a cause to end something, to end some type of hurt, pain in the world, and not destroy yourself in the process while you're doing it? And others, too, it seems. And others, too, it seems, right? So the journey is just import- as important as the end goal here. Cause and effect We know that it exists through research. Every choice point that you make, there is an outcome that comes. And even every choice point you make and the way that you're thinking through the process sends vibrations out into the universe. It sends vibrations out. What happens outside is a mirror. And so what type of energy, even in your own mind, do we want to be putting out even while we're doing this? Keep doing the work make the change, stop the injustice, do all those things while taking care of yourself. And the argument here is taking care of yourself sometimes is really saying, okay, I'm really angry. Damn, I'm really hurt. This is so painful to watch. And maybe we need to go feel that and keep doing the work because anger can only go so far. There's only so much fuel in anger. And if that's all you know to do to motivate you, it's only going to last so long. The idea of the world being a mirror the external being a mirror of, of what's going on inside. And I think when we see the world in that way, it's a lot easier to recognize the work that we must constantly willing to do in our, in our own mind, in our own lives, to be able to reflect out and put out the kind of world that we wish to see externally. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, in anything I just said, it's not me saying you cannot feel anger. It will come up. It's how you work with it. It's a natural human emotion and understanding that it's also communicating something deeper. And we don't want to just stop at I'm angry, so I go do. It's I'm angry and there's so much communication within this emotion right now on how to both take care of myself and how to take care of the world. And there's more going on. So just pause while you're 
going on this path to stop injustice. Thank you, Taya. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Lama Lanang Rinpoche and Tamara Sharifov. Before we go, we want to hear from you. Share your questions, stories, or ideas on the fires you see in today's world. Contact us on Instagram at crockschool or via email at istheworldonfire at gmail.com. And let us know, what is your fire? Today's episode was produced by McCoy Turpin, Franco Castro Escobar, with special help from Scott Londrigan and Ryan Murphy. It was edited by Jim O'Connell, with original music by Victor Daniel Castro Escobar. Promotion is made possible by Kevin Dobbins, Tony Campos, Grayson Walker, and Andrew Biros. We'd also like to offer up a special thanks to the Dean of the Croc School, Dr. Patricia Marquez. Tune in next time.